everybody, welcome to the X Report. I am Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I'm sure if he had his way, the Grizzlies would be hosting the Warriors on Christmas, and he would be right there on the front row. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good, and hopefully the NBA does make that happen because, uh, at least in the, in the sense of off off season drama, that's the best thing going so far. Yeah, and unfortunately, I mean, this has been a, like, for all sports in the offseason, it's kind of been a sad offseason. Like, I think, especially with NFL um, reports of multiple players passing away, um, Jalen Ferguson, of who played for the Ravens, another defensive tackle for the Ravens, who I'm going to look it up because I would feel bad if I didn't say his name. Um, shoot. I should have had this pulled up. This is my bad. Um, Tony Saragusa, who played for the Ravens and the Colts. I mean, and then for the NBA side of things, I mean, Caleb Swanigan passed away earlier this week. So, low-key, it's just been kind of sad. So, just kind of thinking about Grizzlies and Warriors and, like, a future basketball game, that's kind of been one of the more positive things going on this offseason. But not really a good way to segue from, you know, people passing away. So let's talk on a more positive note. We're going, with regards to NFL, we're going to look at some recent NFL retirements. Of course, talk Gronk and say if we believe he is going to come back to the NFL at some point in the season or if this time he's really done. Of course, we're going to congratulate the Warriors on becoming the 2021-2022 NBA season uh, finals champions. Congratulations to them. And also talk some overreactions after that game. And of course, we're going to look at some NBA draft stuff and then close out the show with our NBA free agency predictions. So we got a pretty heavy show for you guys. So let's go ahead without further ado, get things started. But first things first, uh, please sure check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Report. So getting on the topic of those NFL uh, retirements, first it was announced that Colts safety Kari Willis will be retiring from the NFL after three seasons. Um, and he's decided that he wanted to retire so he could devote his life to the ministry. So I think that's an awesome thing. We don't really often, you know, in any sport really see that happening. So congratulations to him and wish him the best in this next venture of his life. And then, of course, as I mentioned at the top, Rob Gronkowski has decided to retire. The four-time Super Bowl champion was also a five-time Pro Bowler, 2014 NFL Comeback Player of the Year, made the NFL's 2010s All-Decade team, and played 11 overall seasons. Um, his main man, uh, Tom Brady, of course, extended his congratulations, sent him his love, called him his brother, all that good stuff. However, though it seems like this may actually be the end, Gronk's agent, uh, Drew Rosenhaus, said, it would not surprise me if Tom Brady calls him during the season to come back and Gronk answers the call. This is just my opinion, but I wouldn't be surprised if Gronk comes back during the season or next season. So, Ethan, in your opinion, I think we've heard this song before about Gronk retiring. Do you think that he's really done or will he be back wearing the NFL shield? I think he'll be back. I think it's a situation to where we have heard numerous of occasions where, like, once players get to a certain number of years, they kind of just get tired of going through the motions of the offseason, like having to be at OTAs and mini camps and um, just voluntary voluntary workouts. And I think that applies to Grump. I think that he, honestly, I think he just retired because he just doesn't want to go through this summer grind of having to um, maybe rush, kind of rush to get in shape and go over the playbook. When he's a guy that he's been playing, if I'm not 
in nine years. So he's he's seen everything under the sun, and with that, he's just a guy that you can kind of just be like, hey, just show up. Mm-hmm. But because you can't do that in the NFL, I think that's why he retired. I feel that. I mean, especially because I'm sure you remember the Manning cast where he, like, joked that he really didn't, like, do anything in the meetings or at practice. He got in trouble for it. And one may argue that he wasn't joking. I mean, push comes to shove. I mean, when you're Gronk, I think that he's one of those guys who kind of fits the bill of he may not be at practice or he may not be the healthiest, but you know when he shows up, he's going to be a dominating force on the field, especially if Tom Brady is still his quarterback. And so I agree with you. I think that for right now, he probably don't want to do the grind of the offseason, which is fair. But I feel like if push comes to shove and it looks like the Bucks need another piece on the offense, I think Gronk will be coming quickly to Mr. Brady's aid. But all right, let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery. Um, starting off with another tight end, Gre- George Kittle, who said this of the current season. 17 games is a lot. It's a lot of games with one buy. I'm advocating for two buys. The physical toll, you feel it week in and week out. So believable or buffoonery, the NFL should implement two bye weeks for each team during the season. Right. Simply because, like, we know the ramifications <laughs> of being a professional football player. Like, there's more studies that comes out that shows, like, the type of um, impact that those guys are having on those bodies. And for it to just really technically only be one off week and, like, for a whole 16-game season, or now 17-game season, I think this kind of unfair to the players. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I mean – Football is already a really physical game, and just expecting somebody to be able to do it for the better part of three, four months, that's asking a lot out of them and expecting our bodies to hold up, especially because, I mean, these men, they're humans. They're not superheroes, and as they age, their bodies aren't going to be able to bounce back the way that they did. So I'm also saying um, believable on that. But let's take things to Washington, who have a lot of drama with regards to Dan Snyder and their owner, but they also have an interesting conversation going on at their quarterback spot, or at least not in Taylor Heineke's opinion. He was asked about the chance he thought that he had to possibly be the team's starter and said this, I don't think that's an option. Um, you look at the NFL, and at the end of the day, it's kind of a business. If you're paying someone $30 million and you're paying someone else $2 million, you're paying this guy $30 million to play, you know. Carson's a great quarterback, and you see it the, through OTAs and minicamp, and I hope he goes out there and succeeds. And again, my job is to just back him up. Hopefully he's on a deal, help him out in whatever way I can, and if for some reason he goes down, I'm ready to play. That's how I look at it. But again, the NFL's a business. You're paying a guy a lot of money. You're paying him money for a reason. He's going to pay. So, believable or buffoonery. Washington is making a mistake by not giving Taylor Heineke a fair shot at the starting spot. Um, I think that making a mistake simply because if you don't give him a first shot, you don't know who essentially is your best quarterback. Because um, I think, like, a lot of people view Carson Wentz as a maybe, and a lot of people also view Taylor Heineke as a maybe. And when you're in a situation to where it's like you don't really have a true definitive starter, you need to kind of go into an open competition to see who genuinely wins their role. 
you also probably need to take into account the team, like the players on the team. Who do they see as a leader that they can follow? And if you don't go into it with like that open mindset of being like, hey, since we don't have a de facto number one, let's be even with our evaluation process and go from there. Yeah, I feel you on that. Um, I'm going to say believable as well. I think that one thing about Taylor Heineke was, especially in that Bucks playoff game a couple years ago, how much the team rallied around him and really respected his confidence. And I think that's going to be something that he's really going to have to rely on in order to be successful. And plus, he knows the playbook. And it's great that he's kind of taking the approach of just kind of resigning himself to be a backup and wanting to help out. But I think that if I'm the Colts, Carson Wentz didn't have a terrible year last year, but – the difference between he and um, what's it called? He and uh, Carson Wentz, I mean, Taylor Heineke, aren't that big. Like, honestly, I think some weeks they look comparable. They look like the same player. So I think that, of course, Carson is initially going to get the start, but I feel like if some mistakes are being made, I don't think that Ron Rivera and his staff should feel forced to keep him in the starting lineup if it's not working. All right, let's talk about another quarterback full of controversies, and that is Deshaun Watson, as we all know, traded to the Cleveland Browns, faced 20-plus allegations of sexual assault and misconduct. Well, earlier this week, his lawyer announced that he has settled 20 of the 24 allegations against him, which only leaves four uh, cases to possibly be settled. While this is a good thing for Deshaun and it will it help enable to kind of shut down the talks for several of his cases, believable or buffoonery, Deshaun Watson's agreeing to settle cases will help shorten his eventual NFL suspension. I think that's buffoonery simply because we all know that the NFL, their biggest um, outside of being entertaining to fans, their biggest priority protecting their brain. And with all of these different allegations um, that's been handed down to Deshaun Watson, it's put a very big black cloud over the brand of the NFL. So I think regardless of if they come to a settlement, they're going to give him a lengthy suspension. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you there. I mean, just because it's settled and the vast majority of them, they're not being talked about anymore, we're not just going to ignore how bad of a look it was for the NFL to begin with and that there still are other allegations and even, I think, two more allegations that came out last week against them that have to be rectified. So, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, you might not be able to talk about it in terms of quarter in the press, but even still, it was a bad look for the NFL, and you know the NFL does not want anybody around who is making them look bad and lets them go unpunished. But let's talk about a player who is hoping to make his new team look good, and that's Von Miller. Earlier this week in a press conference, he was asked about him joining the Bills and said, this is a special team. They're right on the edge of being a Super Bowl winner, and I just wanted to be that last drop to overflow these guys. So, believable or buffoonery, Von Miller is the Bills' missing piece from being a Super Bowl contender. Mm-hmm. And that is something that you need in the playoffs. 
say, for instance, someone takes away Stephon Diggs, we know that even though Josh Allen is a great quarterback, one of the things that made him make that ascension was having Stephon Diggs. And if you take him away, his other weapons are kind of, I'm not going to say mediocre, but they're very average. And you need the ability to switch up your offense, and I think that they don't have that. Like, yes, you can have another pass rusher, but who's to say um, if Josh Allen is having a subpar game, where where else can the offense come from besides him and his excuse me him and his arm and his legs? So I think they need to find more balance on the offensive side of the football. Yeah, I'm just going to go with uh, Believable on that as well. While I think that bringing in Vaughn is a huge addition, just because their pass rush was not that great last year, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think Mario Addison led them in sacks, and he might have had eight and a half or nine, but Vaughn by himself had that number almost in the playoffs entirely. So when you look at the comparisons, it's just like getting Von Miller was a great move by them, even though I think you and I both agree that that's a lot of money we give to somebody. We don't know how much longer he's going to play. But I think you really hit it on the head in terms of just needing more offensive balance. I like the James Cook uh, pick that they did in the second round of this year's draft. I'm hoping that maybe he can provide a bit of a spark in their run game so it's not just Josh Allen doing everything. But until that becomes the case, I don't I don't see that happening. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our last question before we move on to our NBA discussion. Bart Scott, former NFL linebacker, made some pretty interesting comments this week that got people talking. He said, I'd much rather go against Tom Brady every day of the week than go against Peyton Manning. I believe that's how everybody feels. Peyton Manning gives you a different set of anxiety. With Tom Brady, it was more about Bill Belichick, the entire team, the execution, them having a game plan. So, believable or buffoonery, Peyton Manning is a tougher matchup for defenses than Tom Brady. Um, I'd say believable. I, I want to say, I think they're too protected. I just think they go about it differently. I look at it like, I say believable mainly just because I think that when you look at Tom Brady, let's not, Tom Brady's a terrific, amazing quarterback, but I think they're, there is no quarterback who has mentally deconstructed a defense more than Peyton Manning. And I think just about any defensive player and coach would agree with that. And while Tom Brady, I think, has that fiery edge, especially in the postseason that gets his teams over the hump, I think that when you look at Peyton Manning, just the way that he was able to dissect the defense before the snap was even called, it made it very frustrating for defenses to really be able to stop him. So in that regard, I can believe, I can believe it. Mm-hmm. Like you just said, Peyton Manning, he was ready to dissect the defenses and call in audibles. Tom Brady does it to some extent, but I think the thing that Tom Brady had that kind of at some points looked shaky for Peyton Manning was Tom Brady was the most coolest, he's been the most coolest quarterback under pressure. Whenever the stakes are at its most adverse, you never see Tom Brady waver. More times than like you see more people preying on his downfall and it not coming true than it comes true. Yeah. And I think that there's something that kind of like it goes a long way in my opinion because granted you both we everyone knows that I'm not a Tom Brady fan. But to me I think the reason why a part of the reason why he 
he's considered the greatest quarterback of all time is the Chiefs performed at his best when he was under the most pressure. Yeah. You couldn't you couldn't always say that about Peyton, regardless of how great he was. Peyton had moments when he was shaky under pressure. So I gotta say, like they both, I wouldn't say one's more. Um, it's one or the other. I think it's just both, but just for different reasons. Yep, I feel you on that. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our NBA updates. Let's start off with some league news, with some uh, WNBA information. Uh, Sue Bird, one of the greatest to suit up, has announced that this current season will be her final season in the league. Over the course of her 19-year career, she is the only WNBA player to win three titles. I mean, win titles in three different decades. And in addition to that, I mean... She's just a bad, bad woman. I mean, her former college coach, Gino Arama, back at UConn said, there certainly isn't anything that Sue left undone or to prove. It is really, it's really no exaggeration to say, I don't think in our lifetime of basketball that we've seen anyone play that position at a higher level and for a longer period of time than Sue has. Now, I love Sue Bird as much as the next person. Have a lot of respect for her. But I don't know if I would call her the GOAT. She's up there, but I don't know if she would be my GOAT. Ethan, what about you? Do you think she's the WNBA's GOAT? Mm, I'd probably go, still go with Lisa Leslie. Um, but I think that Sue Bird has probably had the second biggest impact on the game behind Lisa Leslie, except because she's been, she's been playing for so long, and she's been – such a like steady force since she's been in the WNBA. See, I Lisa Leslie's my go to, so I feel you on that. But I will also would throw in Diana Taurasi, the white mom, but I would also put her above uh Sue Bird. Well I think Sue Bird definitely has the longevity, which of course has to be acknowledged. I mean, I think Sue was easily top five. At worst five, but I, like you mentioned, Lisa Leslie and Diana Taurasi, for me personally, take the cake. But all right, let's look at some NBA trades, starting with the one that happened over the weekend. Uh, forward for the Rockets, Christian Wood was traded to the Dallas Mavericks. Um, and in exchange, the Mavericks are sending Bobin Marajonic, Sterling Brown, Trey Burke, Marquez Chris, and the 26th overall pick to the Rockets in exchange for Christian Wood. And then this happened just a couple of hours ago. The uh, Portland Trailblazers added some firepower around Damian Lillard by trading for Jeremy Grant. The uh, Detroit Pistons have traded Grant to Portland for a 2025 first-round pick. Um, in addition to that, Detroit swaps 2022 second-round picks, getting the 36 for the 46 pick with Portland as well. So... How do you feel about this move, Ethan? I know you and I kind of talked about Portland really need to add some horses around Dane to make him want to stay. Do you feel like this is a step in the right direction for Dane to get some weapons around him, or do you still think they have a lot more work to do? I think they still have a lot more work to do. I think, I like Jeremy Grant, he's a serviceable player, but I don't think that he's the type of piece that you, he's, in my opinion, if, he, if this were, if there were, their intentions are to build a championship team. Jeremy Grant would be the third or fourth option on that championship team. I agree. So I think that they, you, I, I think they still have a lot of work to do in the sense of like getting a second option to pair with Dane. Yeah, but I think yeah, I agree with you totally. I think that Jeremy Grant is fine. I think that 
being in Detroit made him look better than he actually was. Not because, like, any disrespect to him, but it's just, like, Detroit was such a team that was so devoid of talent that, like, anybody who was able to produce points or make plays looked better. And I think that that was kind of the case with him. But if you put him on a team like a Dame, like, it's clear he's not that superstar and that there's several notches between him and the next one. So, with that being said, yeah, I think it's fine, but I think there's still a lot more work to do in order for the Trailblazers to really start making some moves. Talk about making moves. The Charlotte Hornets last week thought they had their head coach of the future, but instead Kenny Atkinson decided to renege on his original agreement and decided that he won't become the head coach of the Hornets and will remain with the Warriors. So (laughs) in your opinion, how do you feel about this move? Do you think that it just shows how much success the Warriors have to where it's hard to leave? Or maybe you think Atkinson thinks that he can get a better opportunity if he hangs with the Warriors a bit longer? I think he might. I think it's two things. I think it does attribute to the success of the Warriors because one of the things is the Warriors currently, just like the old Spurs teams in their um, prime with Duncan, Ginobili, Parker, um, they always had really, really great assistant coaches. The teams pull from even now to go, quote, go back to the Spurs, you look at some of the assistant coaches that are now head coaches, one of them being Quinn Snyder, another one being Ime um, Doku, Steve Kerr, in fact, Taylor Jenkins, like a lot of Mike Budenholz, a lot of great head coaches right now have come from the Spurs tree. And I think that I, in a similar sense, it might be similar with the, um, with the Warriors where they, they might have a couple guys in a couple years take on different opportunities and they show that they are good head coaches. And also in the case of Kenny Atkins, he showed that he was a good head coach already when he coached the Brooklyn Knicks. So I think he's just waiting on a better opportunity um, instead of Charlotte. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think I think you and I both agreed last week that we liked the hire initially, but I mean, I can understand if he would want to see what better is going to be out there next year. Because, I mean, there's always a whole bunch of head coaching turnover. So maybe there is a better opportunity. Hell, he might be back in Brooklyn, depending on how this next season goes with Steve Nash, if they feel like they're not getting exactly what they want out of him. Um, who knows, maybe with De- Darvin Ham, they might be on a really short leash. And if the Lakers don't have sex- success, maybe he can end up there. It's just a whole bunch of questions around the league. So, I think he'll get a better opportunity, but I don't think the Hornets are necessarily a bad job. So whoever inherits it, whether it be Mike D'Antoni or somebody else, I think that they'll still have a really solid team to build around. But I kind of mentioned this a bit earlier, but following the Golden State Warriors championship win, uh, (laughs) it was a lot of back and forth on Twitter between Grizzlies and Warriors players, so much so I think the highlight of said conversation was when John Morant, in defending his teammate Jaron Jackson Jr., um, comments said got a whole lot of real estate in referring to the Warriors to which Draymond Green responded retraded that real estate in the property value was higher in Boston feeling some type of way John Morant said nah I'm in the M bring them to the trenches on Christmas and then Draymond Green responded the champs play at home young Christmas day dot 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 lj to which john moran responded i'm coming to you then tell him to book that shit i'm on your block 
I'm excited for it. I would love for this to transpire. But Ethan, in your opinion, do you feel like the Grizzlies and Warriors are becoming the next great rivalry? Or at least next rivalry of this generation? I think they are. I think from these playoffs, I think the Grizzlies have start, maybe started two rivalries, two separate teams. The first one, obviously, is the Minnesota Timberwolves, a team that kind of they kind of were a laughing stock after the playoffs because they didn't perform and they had like certain moments in the playoffs. Um, but the other one is the Warriors. And the Warriors, this has been growing for years. This has been something that happened um, once the Grizzlies beat them in the play and it was kind of growing and it's been festering. And the Warriors are kind of like that, that old dog that still has some fight belts and it's like, hey, we're going to we're going to show y'all that we still got it. And the Grizzlies are that young team that's up and coming, and it's like, hey, we're trying to walk in your trap and take over your trap. And so I definitely can see it being a good, entertaining rocker. And it's just you have, like, different personalities. Like, you have um, you have a Draymond, who was one of the most vocal players in the NBA. You have John Morant, who might be the most vocal superstar level talent as far as trash talk and social media presence right now. You have got you have a guy like Dylan Brooks who granted sometimes Memphis fans like myself, we have a love hate relationship with him, but whenever he steps on the court, he's gonna play hard and he's also gonna talk trash. You got guys like Devin Bain that talk trash. You got guys like Clay who for whatever reason is not a it's my only critique, but I'll talk about that later. But, like, now Clay's starting to church with people. Um, you have Steph, who, who quietly, who is a showman and quietly talks trash. So I think it's going to be an interesting rivalry for years to come. Yeah, I think so as well. Because, I mean, I think Dylan Brooks really kind of set it off when that series, and it was like they're old, they don't have much more to go, and, like, we're young, we're going to be competing. So... I, I'm excited to see how it goes. I mean, the saying goes that you know you can always you can't keep a dog new tricks. Well, the tricks that the Golden State Warriors have had over the past several years has been working because, as I mentioned, they are this season's NBA champs after defeating the Celtics in six games. Honestly, I don't think anybody's necessarily surprised by the outcome. But of course, when a team wins a championship a lot of overreactions go. So let's go ahead and start off with the finals MVP, Steph Curry, who his teammate Andre Iguodala had this to say. Steph has solidified himself as the greatest point guard of all time. His name has been mentioned in the conversation quite a bit between him and Magic Johnson. But, Ethan, in your opinion, do you feel like this puts him over Magic? Um. Yeah, I am too. I would say no. I think that Steph is amazing. I think Steph has really helped to transcend the game. But I feel like 
I think what Magic did, or a big reason why I still keep Magic, Magic ahead of him is just, I feel like Magic was able to do it in so many different ways. He was so versatile at his position. And I think that just the areas that he thrived in, he was a great offensive scorer, he was a terrific passer, he was tremendous on defense, he could play so many different positions in the lineup and had so much success early on. Like his rookie year, he won the NBA championship, played center in lieu of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like, from this word go, Magic Johnson was that guy. And his career ended really on his terms. He could, who's, there's no telling how many more championships he could have continued to win had he not gotten his diagnosis. Where Steph is amazing. Steph is, like I said, he helped really redefine the game of basketball, really helped make the three-point shot such a huge part of the game. But I just don't see him having such a long-term impact as Magic Johnson did, which kind of feels bad. But I think he's solidified himself as a top-10 player for sure. Just I don't know if I put him over Magic. Now, another conversation of being the best of all time, the trio of Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson, and being compared to other great trios such as the Spurs trio, the Bulls trio, and other great ones that the league has seen. Do you feel like the Warriors have solidified themselves as the top three trio all time? I mean, the best trio of all time. But I think they won like four together, right? Three or four. Maybe. And the thing, and I think with the with the spirit, and honestly, with the spirits, you can go to honestly more than one variation of a triple, over um a trio. Cause yeah. I think you can still say David Robinson, Tim Duncan, and Manu Ginobili. Mm-hmm. So, and me just. I'm going to say yes, simply because I think, like, in the case of the Bulls, like I said, they didn't win all of their championships together, even though, yes, they might have. We don't know. Maybe it would be better if we had, like, some numbers if it is. If it's four, I would say the Bulls, simply because they had, in my opinion, they had, like, they have all-time greats on their team. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I think distinct still from the Warriors is, like, if the Warriors do have more championships, I kind of do equate winning more to, like, individual talent. So, it's, I'm going to say yes for now. Yeah, I feel you. Um, With regards to that, okay, by the way, it was three rings for the Bulls with Rob in there. The trio had three. Um. I'm going to agree with you because I feel like in terms of, like, individual talent, I think that you know, Steph minus LeBron – I mean, I'm not LeBron, I'm sorry. Minus, um, minus MJ and Tim Duncan, I think that he's up there in terms of, like, one of the better players. Klay Thompson, if I had to look at each of those trios next, man, I would take him over um, – I would take him over Scottie Pippen. I would take him over Manu Ginobili or Tony Parker, whichever one you prefer. And then Draymond, I think kind of every trio kind of needs that third guy who does the dirty work. And I think Draymond has kind of etched out a really good role for himself. So with regards to that, I think just in terms of 
talent in the in if I look at it from more of an individual standpoint as opposed to how good they were collectively, I would agree that the Warriors had the best, but if I had to say the best overall collective unit, I'd probably have to say the Spurs just cuz I mean they were just a machine. I mean, we talk about the Patriots, like, in the NFL, just so how no matter what, the machine always went, and that's kind of how the Spurs were as well. So, But in terms of individual talent, I would, I would go with the Warriors. But all right, let's talk about somebody who's not on the Warriors anymore. But even though he had nothing to do with the finals, his legacy has, quote-unquote, been called into question, and that is Kevin Durant. As we all know, he won multiple rings with the Warriors in his tenure there, too, I believe, including two finals MVPs. However, with the Warriors winning a championship without him, it begs the question of how great is Kevin Durant really? Charles Barkley, his known nemesis, had this to say, until he is the guy on a championship team, we're not ever going to give him the respect that he probably deserves. To which Kevin Durant responded, all this shit is nasty. Another terrible analogy from a hating old head that can't accept that we make him more bread than them. CJ McCollum, a current NBA player, had this to say about Kevin Durant, said... Kevin Durant was the bus driver of that team. His resume speaks for itself. There's no blemishes on it. So, Ethan, in your opinion, do you feel like with the Warriors' latest win, Kevin Durant's legacy and impact is called into question? Um, I wouldn't say his impact because I think everyone knows that his impact on the game is he's probably – the greatest offensive weapon that we've ever seen because he's a seven-foot, he's a seven-foot guy that plays like a guard, has handles like a guard, and is one of the better, one of the best shooters we've ever seen, especially at the inside. But I think as far as his legacy, I think it does damage his legacy because the reality of it is, like CJ can say that KD was the bus driver of the team, but he wasn't. It was, I think what it was, was everyone on that team had to make tremendous sacrifices to play with each other. Um, and KD, he added a different wrinkle to that team when he joined that team. He added the wrinkle of a guy that you can just give the ball to, and it's like, hey, go get a foot. And it's easy to do that when you have the spacing that the Warriors have routinely always had when Steph and Clay are healthy. Yeah. Because you and like he's a cheat code. So if you have it if you're in a situation to where it's like you have the ball in your hands, no one can help off still, no one can help off play, you're essentially you can go one on one. And he's probably the most unguardable player in today's NBA one on one. But I think that the reason I do I think it does hinder his legacy is because I agree with Charles Barkley. Like Kevin Durant has never been like the best player on a championship caliber team. Because even when he was on the Warriors, a lot of people, including myself, still saw Steph as the best player on their team. And it also kind of hurts to see this current season, the same team that basically neutralized Kevin Durant in the playoffs in Boston, still for routinely, maybe outside of one to two games, he had great success against. So I think impact, no, because I think a lot of people still see his impact as probably the best offensive player we've seen to date. But as far as legacy, I do, I do think he impacts his legacy. And I think we kind of 
LeBron's situation wasn't totally the same, but he had questions like that as well. When he won his championships in Miami, it was like, oh, well, you were around Chris Bosh. Oh, you had Dwayne Wade. Can you do it? Can you do it somewhere else? And he did that. And I think that even though, of course, people are still going to chirp at LeBron, but I feel like that championship in Cleveland really helped to solidify, no, I'm that dude regardless of who's around me. Because, I mean, looking at their uh, storylines, it's pretty similar. LeBron making a decision to go to South Beach. Uh, Kevin Durant making it to the finals, not be able to do it in OKC, goes to the Warriors, has success. LeBron got that next ring after he left the champions. Can KD do the same? And I think, as you mentioned, I think he's still incredibly impactful. I mean, I think that he did make that Warriors team even more dangerous than they already were. But, as you mentioned, like, they're still making it shake without you. Like Draymond said, we don't need you. We did it before you. We'll do it with you. We can do it after you. And he has done that. And, I mean, if you look at this past year with the Nets, I mean, it's just been a whole disappointment. That's not all entirely Kevin Durant's fault. But, I mean, I think that unless he can win another ring, it is going to bring – he's not going to get that respect that he probably does deserve just because it's like, well, you weren't able to do it until you joined a quote-unquote super team. But let's talk about players who will be joining teams starting tomorrow. Um, the NBA draft takes place tomorrow night, and we love a good draft over here. So what Ethan and I are going to do are predict the top five picks of this year's upcoming draft, as well as pick the players, the current NBA stars that we believe could possibly be traded on draft night. So, Ethan, with regards to doing a mini mock draft, would you like to go back and forth? You want to go one at a time? How would you like to do this? We can go back and forth. All right, bet. So, starting with the number one overall pick, I have the Orlando Magic continuing their tradition of taking big men first overall, and I have them taking power forward Jabari Smith out of Auburn. Smith is a guy who's gained a lot of steam over the course of this draft process. You look at their current lineup, Mo Bamba is probably going to be gone via free agency. They do. Wendell Carter is solid, but they can always add another big. I mean, looking at Jabari Smith as compared to the other draft prospects, this year he's a pretty clean guy doesn't really have too much concerns may not be the most exciting guy available but I could still see them making that move oh uh, I'm in agreement with um, Jabari Smith as well you can slide him into the power forward spot and he also has a very modern NBA type game he's a guy that and he's not exactly 7 foot but he's like 16, 6'11 range he can put the ball on the court, he can dribble, he can handle the rock, he can shoot up to the out to the three ball. He can he's also a great shot blocker. So I think that the magic would take their chance to go Jabari. All right, second overall pick. It's Oklahoma City on the clock. Where do you think they go? I think Oklahoma City is going are going to go with this is tough, but I'm gonna say Chet Hunger. Um I think that they they need they don't have like an official starting center and I'm gonna be honest, I'm not on the Chet Hungren bandwagon, none whatsoever. But I think the one thing that Chet Hungren can bring is even if he doesn't reach like the maximum superstar potential that people see seem to think that he will reach, his floor is he could be a really, really good shot blocking big. And that's something that you still could build around in today's NBA. Yeah, I feel you on that. And I think that if you are a player who you may not have the most upside or you may not be an immediate product, 
what better team to go to than the Oklahoma City Thunder? This is a team that we know is still kind of in that rebuild mode. They have the opportunity to be a bit patient with guys, and Chet Holgram is one of those guys. Um, reports really have been coming out that his draft stock's kind of been in question just because he hasn't really sent his medical information to many teams in hopes of going to the Thunder. So I hope for his sake that it all works out. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the third overall pick, the Houston Rockets on the clock. After we just talked about the trade of Christian Woods, I think that they replaced him with Paolo Bantero out of Duke. I mean, Paolo was one of the more exciting guys to watch this past season. I think that he comes in and is a really – easy fit onto that offense between him and uh, Jalen Green. I think that they get really two solid um, offensive guys. Yeah, I'm in agreement um, with people follow. I think that he's a guy similar to um, Jabari. He's a guy that at 16, he can shoot, he can dribble. But the other added dimension that he has, he's a really, really good passer. And he's a guy that you can just like put the ball in his hands and he can make plays. Nice. All right, so... Moving on to the fourth overall pick. It's the Sacramento Kings, but a lot of talk has been made about them possibly trading it. What do you think they end up doing? Um, I think they might trade. I don't know to who, but I think that it's a possibility that the guy that they want might not get taken with their pick. So I think they might trade it away. Yeah, I actually have them trade. I don't know if you have a specific uh, player in terms of a mock, but for me, I think that them and the Atlanta Hawks are able to work out a deal which kind of revolves around John Collins for that fourth overall pick. And in response, um, the Hawks end up getting forward. Keegan Murphy out of Iowa provides some really nice scoring. I'm sorry, scoring um, in that front court. I think that when you kind of look at the Hawks, when you look at that, three four position it's been a bit lacking I think Keegan who was really a really uh, strong offensive player in his time as a Hawkeye I think that he can kind of translate that and be a nice compliment to Trey Young um I think so I think they will trade I don't really have a player because mm-hmm. it's a lot of options on the ground for like I think that they do trade it to Atlanta and go for like you said Keegan um Mary uh, I also make some teams that could potentially be in the lower half of the draft that could try to make some moves. Like, I don't hear rumors that the Grizzlies might be willing to trade the 22nd, the 29th, and a player or two for that pick. There's a lot of reasons why I couldn't really associate a player with because I don't necessarily know which team would pull the trigger to try to look to acquire that pick. So, just for the sake of conversation, I did see that as well, that the Grizzlies were talking about possibly moving up. Let's say they do move up to the fourth overall pick. Is there a particular player you would want? Um, me, personally, the person that I would want, honestly, would be the, be the dynamic of the team. Mm-hmm. But it's, he's my favorite player in the draft right now. It's Jaden Ivey. Um, he's a, a downhill attacking guard, very Supremely athletic, very similar to Jar. He's just a little bit bigger, but I don't think that there's something that the Grizzlies need unless they want to draft him and have him as their backup point guard. Seeing as how they have questions surrounding um Brandon Tyus, but true that. Um, it's funny you mentioned uh Jor, um 
Jaden Ivey because with the fifth overall pick, I have the um, New York Knicks actually trading up with the Detroit Pistons in order to take Jaden Ivey. I think when you look at that guard position for New York, it's been so many questions about that point guard position. They've struck out on so many star free agents and I think that in Jordan Ivy I mean Jaden Ivy they'd be able to develop and produce their own guy as a position and hopefully use that as momentum for other free agencies possibly want to come and play with them. Um I actually can see that so I think I'm gonna agree with you simply because I think the Knicks honestly when you look at their roster, everything else is from a starting standpoint they kinda have in place. Like every point yeah he's a he's a a mid, uh, average to above, average level shooting guard. RJ Barrett, he's a plus. Julius Randle, even though he took some steps back, I think that he's going to return and be a better player than he was this past season. And Mitchell Robinson is a guy that, yes, he thought his big issues this past season was he was overweight. So the only real hole that they lacked was point guard. And we've heard Romans about how the Knicks want to make like some splashes and I think this could be the splash that they make as well yeah definitely all right so as it always seems to happen, some big trades typically take place on draft night. So what we're going to do is talk about three players we could see getting traded. So would you like to alternate like we just did or how you want to do it? All right, bet. So number three, I have John Collins to the Kings. I kind of alluded to that a bit earlier with regards to, you know, the mock draft. But, I mean, John Collins' name has been brought up in uh, possible trade discussions for the past year now. And I'm sure reports are coming out that he's kind of frustrated with it. He'd rather just go ahead and be traded and move on from it, which I totally understand. For the Kings, I mean, Mike Brown said that he already feels like he has a top three combination in the league with De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I do think that bringing in John Collins will surprise provide some really nice um, bodies in that front court. Oh, uh, for me, number three, I'm going to say it's hard and it's incredibly hard. This is why I have it at number three. But I'm I have John Wall being traded to. I will say this: if the um, if the Knicks don't make the trade for Jaden Ivey, I can see them potentially doing a fire sale and making a trade for John Wall simply because I think that they need a capable point guard. And yes, John Wall hasn't played, but when he stepped on the court last, he showed that he was a productive player. So I think the Knicks might pull the trigger on John Wall. How much of that contract do you think Houston would have to eat to make that happen? Yeah, cause uh, I can't. I'll probably say at least seventy percent. Yeah, cause I mean, what I think he opted to his player option was like forty-seven mil. Like, I, it's funny because in NFL terms, we talk about Baker Mayfield and him making eighteen mil. That's nothing compared to John Wall. But, all right, um, my number two is Miles Turner to the Hornets. I mean, looking at the recent arrest of Montrez Harrell in that situation, plus he was already a free agent, it's clear that the Hornets are going to have a need at the big. Miles Turner, another guy who's kind of been brought up in trade conversations for the better part of a year now, I think that the Hornets will be a really nice spot for him, get to play with some really good guards such as Terry Rozier, um, LaMelo Ball. I think it will be a really nice fit, especially depending on who their coach is. Yeah, also, this is my second choice as well, because one of the thing that the Hornets have let during this whole 10-year run 
is they've always had undersized bigs. Like, it's even been Cody Zeller, who he, he has, I'm not going to say he's undersized, he has the size, but he lacks the serviceability. Like, he's not that great of a player. And then you have guys like a PJ, PJ Washington, who in actuality is a power forward. And you have Montrezl Harrell, who, yes, he's made his name as a center, but he's 6'8". And when you have teams that you could potentially face in the playoffs, like a, for instance, a Milwaukee Bucks who have Giannis and Brooke Lopez, a Philadelphia 56 who have Joel Embiid, um, even in some instances, the Brooklyn Nets, if they if they want to put Kevin Durant at power forward in another center, like you need some size, and they've been an undersized team from the big man position for quite some time. Yep, and then last but not least, this one is a bit of a splash, but I'm going to say D'Angelo Russell to the Washington Wizards. I mean, Bradley Beal, for the first time in a while, I think he has a legitimate shot of actually leaving, and I think that the Wizards, if they really want to keep them, it's kind of a situation like Dame where you got to put some talent around him. It seems like it's not working for D'Lo in Minnesota. Anthony Edwards is more so the ball-dominant guy up there, so go ahead and move D'Lo. Get a little bit of more star power or a solid point guard to match with Bradley Beal if he, in fact, decides to stay, and I think that they have a lot of death pieces that the Wizards could use in return. So for me, I also have another splash pick, and my number one is Donovan Mitchell to the Miami Heat. Um, we all know that he's been, after this recent playoff run, he's been incredibly frustrated. The Miami Heat are also frustrated after their recent run in the playoffs, and I think that Donovan Mitchell is a guy that can fit the mold of the Heat culture. And also, I just think that the Heat offer some things, have some things that they can offer. Like, they can offer up a Tyler Hero who has stated numerous of times that he wants to start. And I highly doubt that he will start in Miami um, at any point, unless uh, maybe two to three years from now when, like, Jimmy Butler and other individuals probably get older and retire. But for this current, like, handful of seasons, I don't see him starting anytime soon. Duncan Robinson is a guy who has had an up-and-down tenure this past year. Like, he started out starting, then he went to portions of the season where he didn't touch the floor at all, and then he had portions where he touched the floor. And I know that with his shooting capabilities, that's something that people in today, their teams in today's NBA could So that's my I would love if that happened because I feel like realistically in terms of teams that uh, Spider could get traded to like the Knicks, I feel like the Heat have more trade capital than the Knicks do. I mean, the Knicks could put up Julius Randle, but at this point, I feel like Julius Randle's stock is kind of dropped to where I would rather, if I had to pick between him and Tyler Harrow, I would go Tyler Harrow. So I would love if that took place. I think that might... I could definitely see that trade happening. We might just have to wait a little bit for it, but I do I do think that the Utah Jazz are going to commit to a rebuild. But all right, so our final segment of today's show, instead of playing our usual game of believable or buffoonery, we are going to give our NBA free agent predictions. We are going to look at 15 of the top available NBA free agents and say where we would like to see them end up 
but where we eventually think they will end up. So let's go ahead and start off with number 15, keeping on the conversation of the Miami Heat. We have Victor Oladipo. Ethan, in your opinion, where would you like to see Oladipo sign? Where do you think he ends up signing? Where I'd like to see him sign is I'd like to see him resign with Miami for two reasons. One, being a situation, like I said, if they were to trade for Donovan Mitchell, they would need somebody that can come off the bench and be a spark. And during the course of this season, when he was on the court, Victor Oladipo showed that he had the capabilities of doing that. Where I think he's going to resign, I think he'll resign with Miami for like uh, a somewhat vet minimum to kind of try to prove himself again before he looks for another bigger deal. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you on both sides. I think that kind of even before he ended up in Miami, I think you and I both agreed that Miami seemed like a great spot for him. He's a really good defender, solid spot-up shooter, and then – Fast forward, he's on the team and he produces some really quality um, numbers. And I think that as long as he can stay healthy, I think that this could prove to be a really good marriage between the two. So we are in agreement on both sides. All right, let's go ahead. Number 14, former Buck uh, forward slash center Bobby Portis, who has a player option. Where I want him to go, I would love for him to stay in Milwaukee. Um, I really like when he re-signed with the team last year after helping contribute to that championship team. And I think that he still has a really nice role on that squad. It's clear that his teammates like him. Mike Budenholzer still finds a place for him. I think that he can still be really productive there. So I would love for him to stay in Milwaukee. But I could really see him ending up on the Brooklyn Nets. I mean... Paul Millsap, I believe, is going to be an upcoming free agent, if not a free agent already. LaMarcus Aldridge, yes, it was great to see him come back from his um, heart condition, but still, he's not the same player that they brought him in to be. So, in other words, they could use a lot of growth at that power forward position, and Bobby Portis could provide that. I think that the allure of possibly playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in hopes of getting another championship might be too much for him to ignore. solid defender, but he's a capable three-point shooter from the standpoint of he could be a backup center behind Steven Adams, and we could function properly with like spacing for job because this is one this one of the things that we have in our front court rotation is outside of Jerry, none of our other like bigs or front court players in the sense of like Xavier Xavier Tillman and Kyle Anderson and Brandon Clark, none of them are floor space. He's honestly only Jaren. And I think that if we were to bring him in, that could be a, a different wrinkle that we can play with. Where I think he's going to actually end up, I think he, he has a player option, so I think he's going back to Miami. I mean, not Miami, Milwaukee, because he's a, he's a crowd favorite. He won a championship there, and I understand the whole lure of potentially playing for a championship with KD and Kyrie. But the Nets are in such a the Nets are in such a wild place right now. I don't think that lure is as strong as it's been in the past. When he can honestly through to say like, hey, I can still play for a championship here in Milwaukee. Yep, I feel you on that. All right, thirteen, former Laker guard Malik Monk. Malik Monk, uh where do I think where do I want him to go? I want him to re-sign with the Lakers. I liked him on the Lakers because he was just a guy that was another spark that they needed off the bench. Whether I think he's going to go, uh, I can see a team like Washington overpaying for him to try to make Bradley Beal happy. 
Yeah, I um, I want him in L.A. as well. I mean, I think that looking at the Lakers bench, it was mostly a disappointment. However, Malik Monk really thrived in his opportunities and one was the bright spot. However, he did mention he wanted to get paid, which I think could be the wrinkle in him coming back. But when push comes to shove, I think that the Lakers will be able to convince him to come back for at least another year, maybe overpay him. But as you mentioned, I could definitely see him end up somewhere else just because they're desperate for shooters and they'll give him the bag. All right, next up, number 12, former Nick center Mitchell Robinson. Where I'd like to see him is actually Brooklyn. Kind of similar to what I mentioned with Paul Millsap and um, LaMarcus Aldridge. They need bigs. I mean, the last big young big that they had who they had potential was Jared Allen. Of course, they traded him. And they really have not been the same presence in the paint ever since. I think that Mitchell Robinson is a guy who has yet to really meet his potential. But I think that with offensive guys, this is with the caveat that KD and Kyrie come back. I think that will create a lot of opportunities for him in the post. And he'll really be able to show off his defensive capabilities. But where I think he ends up is Houston. Christian Woods is now gone. They do have a hole in that post uh, area. I can see him joining the other young bucks in Houston and hoping to revitalize his career there. Um, where do I, where do I want him? I want him in Charlotte because I don't, if, and this hinges the point if they don't make a trade for my assignment, I think again, like I stated, uh, Charlotte, they need an actual big size. He provides that, but he also just provides like that. He's a shot blocker and lob threat for LaMelo. And like LaMelo, the only real lob threat he has is Miles Bridges. And Boy Montreal is PJ Washington, but he's different from if you have a guy at the five that rolls hard to the basket and puts so much pressure on your defense. Um, what do I think he's going? I think he's going to end up in Brooklyn, signing in Brooklyn for like a, a big minimum deal. Yeah, I could see that. All right, next up, number 11, former Trailblazer center Yusuf Nurkic. Um, Yusuf Nurkic, this is where I I think I can see him going to Houston and taking up the space um, that was vacated by Christian Wood because he's a guy, He he's a veteran, and he has some interesting tools in the sense of like, He's a guy that can make plays out of the post and the elbow. You can throw him the ball. You can get a six. And I think there's something that you might need with a younger group of a younger group of guys. There's still have that guy on the team that isn't a ball dominant big and like space and can provide scoring opportunities for those guys without the ball in their hand. What do I think he's going to end up? Uh, I think he's going to resign. End up resigning with Portland. Yeah, I I think he ends up re-signing with Portland as well, but I I would like to see him in Indiana. Mainly be, this is because I do see Miles Turner getting traded. They're going to need a big, and then this will help him reunite with former head coach Terry Stotts, who he was with for several years in Portland, provide a nice edge there. Though he's not necessarily the shot blocker that Miles Turner is, he still would be familiar with the offense that Stotts likes to run and would be able to facilitate it like that. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to number 10, former Trailblazer guard Anthony Simmons. So, I mean, Simons had a really played really well in uh, Damian Lillard's absence last season. 
and provided some nice scoring. So as a Lakers fan and seeing how bad and old our bench was, I would love an infusion of use bringing in Simons. I think that he could really produce a lot for us and maybe even be a spot starter for us depending on what goes on with the Russell Westbrook situation at point guard. As I mentioned, really big bench presence and I think that he has a lot of potential that he really hasn't been able to have realized yet because he spent most of his time behind Damian Lillard. Um, in Portland but where I think he ends up I think he still goes back to Portland and hopes to really be the guy there especially because the future of Damian Lillard is still unclear yeah I'm in a similar line in the sense of I think he's going to rebound Portland where I would want him to sign this is the caveat of if the Grizzlies aren't able to re-sign Tyus Jones I would love to bring him to Memphis and have him be the backup point guard I think he would be a different type of bag of point guard than Tyus because he's not a guy that he doesn't look to get to move the ball around. He's more of a scoring bag of guard. And it could also be a different wrinkle um, because a lot of teams won't be used to that. And he's also a really capable shooter. So you could potentially play, do another um, two-guard line with him and John. But I think that's what I would want. But I definitely see him resigning on Portland. All right, next up, number nine, former Thunder guard slash forward combo, Lou Dort. Lou Dort? Ooh, where do I see Lou Dort going? Where would I want him to go? I would want him to go to Miami. The reason being is he's a, he fits that mold. Like, he's another guy that's a, a really good defender. He's just a dog. And I kind of, like, Miami is like this, this sleeper, sleeper team that I just enjoy because it's like I like the way that they do things in Miami. What do I think he's going to resign? I think what I think he's going to sign, I think he's going to resign on the Thunder because the Thunder know that they have a really good potential building block for the future in him being a perimeter defender. Yeah, once again, I'm in agreement. I think he ends up back in OKC. But I would like to see him with the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, similar to kind of what you were saying about the Heat, who I'm a fan of in terms of, like, Eastern Conference teams. But also love me some Giannis. And I think that providing another strong, impactful player right there in the center of that D offense would really be helpful. I mean, Lou Dort was one of those guys who really stepped up, especially after Shai Gilgis Alexander got hurt. And I think that though he may not provide that same offensive attention, he's still really good defensively. And I think that that could really help the, out the team, especially as they go reach those playoff runs when they're going up against so high, so many high-powered offenses. But all right, number eight, Colin Sexton, former guard for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I would like to see him in Miami. I think that he has the edge and the attitude to really make it work in Miami. And plus, playing with Jimmy Butler is, of course, going to help toughen you up. It's going to make you ready for the big plays. I mean, we have seen some flashes where Colin Sexton looked like maybe the future of the Cavs. He looked like he was going to be a really pivotal offensive player. Of course, injuries and some inconsistencies have kind of hurt that, but I think in Miami he could be a really big player. But where I think he ends up would be the Utah Jazz. You and I both said I think that the Utah Jazz are headed towards a rebuild. So Colin Sexton could really go there and maybe sign a short one-year, maybe two-year deal to hope to kind of revitalize his career and show why he was such a highly touted draft pick just a few years ago. Um, where I would like to see Colin Sexton, that is tough. I actually would like to see him um, stay with Cleveland but just kind of repair some of the relationship that he has. Like, I know that Darius Garland is their starting point guard and he's the guard of the future. And that whole dynamic of them playing um, two point guards is just 
position shooting guard, that's, that's the thing in the past, especially with them signing carries to vert. But I would love it to be a situation to where they have Darius Garland starting and then they bring in a pit bull with Colin Sexton off the bench. It, rem- it will remind me of um, a similar point back in the day with the Grizzlies where they had Mike Conley and they had Kyle Lowry. And Mike Conley was the counterpoised. He wasn't nearly as good as he reached, but at the time he was the poised, kind of like run your team type of play, type of point guard. And then once he gets off the court, you have this bulldog that just is going in people's neck and Kyle Larry. And I would love to see something similar in Cleveland. But I, obviously, no, that's not going to happen. So what do I think he's going to sign? Uh, I'm trying to think. What are teams that have really bad guards right now? The Lakers. Um, the Lakers just don't have the cow space. The only way I feel like they could get him is if they were to, like, have him sign a big minimum, and I know that's not the case. Yeah, I would. I honestly, I could see him maybe, and it's just, this is a super, super reach, maybe Chicago. And the reason I say this is because I know that Zach Levine is threatening to leave. And I think that if he leaves some of the other domino pieces, like maybe Alonzo might decide, like, hey, we we tried this out. One of our better players is gone. I'm going to leave, too, for better pastures. So he might decide to leave. Or I could say New Orleans because they don't really have a great starting point guard either. Yeah, you ain't wrong about that. All right, so moving on to number seven, former Maverick guard Jalen Brunson. Where I want him, I want him to resign with the Mavericks. What I think he's going to do, I think he's going to resign with the Mavericks. I would like, I think he ends up resigning with the Mavericks, but I would like for him to go to the San Antonio Spurs. I think that. The Spurs are just a team that I'm so used to being good forever that it's, like, weird seeing them go on this really weird flux point. Like, I love DeJounte Murray. I think DeJounte Murray is one of the more underrated players in this league, and I think that Jalen Brunson is a guy who can help kind of elevate that offense, even though he's not going to be somebody who's going to give you 25-plus a night. But those are games where we saw in the playoffs where Luka was out and he really stepped up, gave them 30 or more, and I think that with that – opportunity with the Spurs he could become even more consistent and become an even bigger player but as I mentioned I think push comes to shove he ends up back in Dallas but all right number six former Hornets forward Miles Bridges who is a restricted free agent meaning that the Hornets can match any offer that he is given I would like to see him in Cleveland I think that the Cavaliers are really building up a young squad Evan Mobley is great Darius Garland we talked about a second ago um and Jared Allen, I think that they really got some nice pieces on that team. And I think that Miles Bridges could be another strong factor in there, throw him into that middle of that offense and let him work. But realistically, I think he ends up back in Charlotte. What do I want? Honestly, I want him to resign in Charlotte simply for the LaMelo-Miles Bridges connection. Like, that's one of the better passer to law receiver connections that we have in the current NBA. And what I think is going to happen is he's going to resign. Yeah, I, I would be shocked if he didn't. Um, all right, getting to the top five, starting with former son center DeAndre Ayton. Who you got? Where I want him to go to the Spurs. Where I think he's going, I think he is some type, for some type of way going to read. 
going to sound Spurs because I think that, like, I think me and you talked about it off air. He had a lot of similarities to David Robinson where he wasn't like, he isn't this, excuse me, he isn't this big hulking figure that you just throw the ball to the block and he just gets all his points on the block. He's more of a, like, he rolls to the basket. He's a capable shooter, and he's a capable shot blocker. And I think with the way that the Spurs can be ran, that could be a benefit because you can just, I could just see now him and DeJounte running the pick and roll and the pick and pop to great success. And I also, you bring up the Spurs, but one of the things that I know that I just recall is the Spurs have always had success around kind of playing a round eight a good big man, whether it's mm-hmm. David Robinson or whether it's Tim Duncan. So maybe there's something that they need to add in um, DeAndre Aiden. Yeah, you and I are in agreement on both sides. I would love for him ending up on the Spurs. I just think that, as you mentioned, I mean, we kind of talked about it last week. It's just not working in Phoenix. Like, Phoenix has definitely run through their offensive CP3 and Devin Booker. And so, DeAndre Aiden kind of gets lost in the shuffle. But typically, with the first overall pick, you expect more production out of him or at least the offense to flow through them more. But that just was not the case in Phoenix. But you put him in San Antonio and you get a very different story. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to number four, former Bulls guard Zach Levine. I think he ends up going back into to Chicago because apparently he can get $200 million if he does, which I respect. But I would love if he would just go ahead, come to the West Coast and be a Laker. We desperately need more consistent scoring. He provided that when he was healthy. He's a very entertaining player. How exactly would he mess with LeBron and co? I'm not totally sure, but I would be willing to take the risk if he wanted to come jump ship. wouldn't but I mean you know no maybe he's sick of the cold in Chicago want to come to LA but I understand all right next up number three former 76er guard uh James Harden who has a player option what are you thinking because technically it's looking like he's going to end up going back to Philly on like a short-term deal but just for the sake of conversation so for the sake of conversation where I would want to see James Harden know is I would want to see him out of the NBA which is not going to happen so I will say uh, I don't know because I just just the way that you have to construct your team to play with James Harden I think it's a lot of teams that you just you can't do that with anymore like he would have to just kind of go to a bad team so I might say like someone like the Magic, because they need a dominant guard. But well, I think like we already know he's gonna resign for Sixers. Yeah, I mean I would too, because his player options like in uh, John Wall range. I'm not passing up 45 plus mil. Um, but I would like to see him with the Knicks. 
This is not the same James Harden that was tearing the league up in Houston. And but by golly, you know, the Knicks still want their superstar. They want a name to get butts in seats. And James Harden still is a name. He's not nowhere near the same guy that, you know, we're so used to seeing. But at least the Knicks would get their guy. I, I feel you, though, on the whole not wanting him in the league because I'm not, as we all know, James Harden is my least favorite player in the league. So it was hard for me not to, like, be biased. But the Knicks, he could go somewhere. He'd easily be the top guy. Maybe that would be what he needed to go back to his scoring prowess. Or worst-case scenario, he's going to make a whole bunch of money in New York and get to hang out in their strip club. So, you know, there's that. But all right, number two, former guard for the Washington Wizards, Bradley Beal, who also has a player option. I would love to see him in Memphis. I think the duo of him and Ja Morant would be lethal. Dylan Brooks has, is fine. He has his moments. Oh, yeah, of course, Brad. He's gone. It's no conversation. Dylan is gone. But like I said, like in the conversation, Dylan Brooks is cool. But if I can have Bradley Beal, I'm taking Bradley Beal. Just the 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 thought of him playing with John Morant on a nightly basis. Then you factor in other young cats like Desmond Bain, Triple J, Stephen Adams. And it's it's such a dope starting five to think about. And as much as I would love to see him in the Lakers, purple and gold, the Memphis – the Grizzly in me is like, nah, I want to see him in Memphis. But realistically, I, I, I think he's going to go back to Washington. I hope he doesn't, but I could see it happening. Uh, so I'm in the Grizz. You know, it's been numerous of times where I've been a very adamant uh, cheerleader for Bill on Bill. Uh, if it were to happen, I hate to say it, but Desmond Bain would not be a part of the song line. Yeah. It just wouldn't be possible to Bradley Beal is 6'3", Desmond Bain is like 6'3", 6'4". Both of those guys are too short to play the four, I mean the three. So we would have to have someone else inserted in the starting lineup, but I would love, because Bradley Beal is a guy, he does, he can play with the ball in his hands, he can play with the ball without, out of his hands, and I think it'll be, a, and he's a really, really good shooter. I think it'll be a really great complimentary piece to job. Um, but what I think, I think he's going to resign in Washington. Cause I think un- just like we just said with um, James Harden, bro, he, he, if he resigns, he's going to make a lot of money. And granted, Bradley Bill has said numerous times he wants to win in Washington. But it, I, my thing is, is, even if he does leave, you're going to resign and then you can just request the trade so you can make sure that you get your money that you're owed. Yeah, and it sucks because he's just so good. Like, and it's uh, like Washington is one of those places. It's kind of like Portland where it's not necessarily a sexy free agent destination. It's not like a Chicago or L.A. or Miami where it's like, yeah, they may be going through like a losing spell, but just be the allure of playing for that specific city can help raise the stock in it. And Washington is just not that spot. So I, I hope he leaves. I almost, I almost messed around and said I wouldn't be mad to see him in Boston. Just because him and Jason Tatum are so tight. I love me some Jalen Brown, too. But, I mean, I would take Bradley Beal over Jalen Brown. So, you might have to switch those two out. Because, I mean, I don't think you're getting Beal without trading Jalen Brown. That's just not going to happen. Um, but, all right. Number one. Probably the more one of the more interesting players in the entire NBA. Former net guard. 
Kyrie Irving, who apparently he and the team have kind of reached a bit of a stalemate with regards to a contract extension. And Kyrie may go ahead and test out the market in free agency. So, Ethan, where do you want to see Kyrie suit up? And where do you think he ends up suiting up? What do I want? This is a big, I know a reason I was about to tell the Lakers, but then these thoughts just ran across my mind. This is a big, like, middle finger to the next organization. I want him to go to the Knicks. Oh, that'd be great. All right, where do you think he ends up? I think he's going to end up resigning with Brooklyn. Yeah, I think he ends up in Brooklyn, too. Um, it's all fun and games, like, talking about it for conversation. But, like, do you really want to leave KD? Like, KD is terrific. And, I mean, while the other the rest of the team has its questions, I mean, it'd be hard to pass that opportunity up, especially go to a team like New York who's not really winning nothing. Uh, but, yeah, I'm in a great – I almost said the Lakers, too. I, I was very close. I even had it written down, but then I thought about it. And I was like, do I really want to see Ky- Kyrie and LeBron together? Not – and it has nothing to do with them playing together because it's great. But I always think back about the press conference Kyrie had and somebody, a reporter, asked him, how has LeBron been a father figure to you? And it just – every time I think about that, it rubs me the wrong way. So, you know what? Let's say Bradley Beal stays in Washington. I want Kyrie to go with him, give him the best point guard he's had and go from there but that is our show thank you guys so much for listening as always please be sure to check out the xreport.net i repeat the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers previous episode of our lovely podcast and our youtube channel entitled the xreport ethan before we close this bad boy out anything you'd like to say any bold predictions for the draft or upcoming free agency Yeah. You know, everyone's saying, like, they should take the bars, you know. So, uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, I'm also, I'm really ready for football. Like, I think it might just be, like, big point. Like, I've watched a little baseball, and I understand, like, this is normally the time where baseball thrives. But ever since I stopped playing baseball, my love for baseball has dwindled. To like, to being kind of like only I only watch it seriously when the playoffs start. So like I'm in this place where it's like, bro, I need to see somebody get hit or something. Oh no, I'm totally in agreement with you. I mean, basketball is cool, baseball is cool, but football has my heart. It is number one in terms of hierarchies it's one of my all-time favorite things on the planet so this upcoming football season cannot come soon enough so i'm totally in agreement with you um but yeah i mean as you mentioned with the draft like the nba draft is one of the most unpredictable things in all the sports just because we may think we know what's going to happen and then everything turns on its head or like certain players may initially get drafted to teams but there's so many trades that take place it's hard to really keep track of everything so 
as you mentioned with the Magic, I mean, who knows what they're truly going to do. I'm sure the Knicks are going to try to trade up. Maybe even the Grizzlies may even trade up to get in that top five. So it'll be interesting. But either way, we'll be here to talk about it next week. So thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you all next time.